You're listening to The Morning Muster, where we get sailors together to listen to the weather report and, well, to talk about the most important topics of the day. So grab a cup of hot chai. Or a coffee. I'm Teresa Carey. And I'm Ben Carey. This podcast is produced by Morse Alpha. We offer rigorous coastal and offshore sail training expeditions. Check out morsealpha.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Fiorentino. Fiorentino makes smart products that slow or stop your boat's drift during a storm or mechanical failure at sea. They have an improved parachute anchor and a shark drogue, which can be used as either a speed limiting drogue or for emergency steering. We've actually tested both aboard Rasanante when we were doing emergency preparedness drills. They were easy to store and deploy and really super stout. And Fiorentino is offering a discount if you mention the Morning Muster podcast. Find them at para anchor.com uh, today we're talking about good food I mean we all we all spend a time a lot of time thinking about food and that really doesn't change when you head out to sea um, for a passage or a coastal cruise um, I, I feel like there's no reason to eat subpar food when you're on a boat so I wanted to talk with two seasoned pros about how they provision cook snack and the lessons they learned about eating well or not well, <laughs> aboard their boats. So we've got John Kretschmer, uh, a world sailor, author of some thrilling sea stories. And John also leads offshore passages on his boat. And our other guest is Emily Webby, who is living aboard with her family, and she writes SailingTheBakery.com, which really just by visiting her website, it'll make your mouth water. And um, especially, Emily, I, that picture of the butter, I, it made me wonder how many pounds of butter you have on board at any given time. Uh, I, think, I think right now I'm at my lowest because I just used my reserves from uh, the U.S., but usually I keep at least three pounds of butter at any given time. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty serious. <laughs> um, I wanted to start off by, by going deep. Uh, basically, do you have, I want to talk about food philosophies and let me, let me just explain here. I have this food philosophy. I learned this saying from an old timey sailor on these little open rowing sailing commercial boats that I used to sail. They didn't have any refrigeration at all. We carried all the food in the bilge and we would pack for sometimes up to a couple weeks, even fresh produce. And the saying was, when you're always eating your best, you're always eating your best. And what that means is when you, on the first day, you look at the food you have and you pick out your best meal. You don't save it for later. You eat your best. And then on the second day, you look at what you have left and you eat your best. And then, you know, the third day, the same thing. And when you get down to the last few days, you look at what you have left and you eat your best. And sometimes that means you're going to be eating just tortillas and mustard <laughs> or something like that. But you're just loving it because you, you look at what you have and you're eating your absolute best. And, um, and so I kind of live by this food philosophy when I'm out on a boat. And I wondered if you all had any sort of food philosophies. That's actually a really cool philosophy. And it, it, it reminds me of the old days, too, and so many long trips without refrigeration. And that really, that's, that's a cool way you phrased it, because that's exactly how we did it. You always ate your best stuff first, and then... It was just kind of diminishing returns, but you weren't ever uh, upset that you hadn't eaten the good stuff and it went bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's funny because for me, I feel like I have or I have historically had the opposite practice where 
I think of the things that I want to savor once I get into port or like the things that I want to save for a treat or for like a celebration or something. And sometimes it's funny because they've, they've gone bad or gotten wet or like I forgot about them completely. And then, you know, once I get to see them, they're, they're inedible. So I think that's funny that I should probably flip that and go the other way around. Yeah. (laughs) We've just kind of experienced that this week. Buying, buying fresh produce down here is so disappointing. It looks beautiful in the stores and even with refrigeration, whatever, it just lasts a few days, four or five days. And you go to dig out the avocados or whatever, and they are limp. (laughs) So you want to eat, eat up, eat them all fast. Definitely. So let's just go right into food storage then, because that's what we're talking about now. And I think a lot of people ask me this question when they, when they, when I was living on a boat, well, what, what do you do with the food? How do you eat? And so I, I've heard from other sailors lots of things like um, taking the cardboard off the packaging so you don't bring bugs aboard, or bleaching everything, or taking the labels off the cans. And um, some of these things, I mean, I, I take the cardboard off, but mostly because I don't want to carry extra trash. Um, but I never really stressed about any of these problems. Um, I always thought of it as like, I have a kitchen aboard, even though it's a galley, but I do it just like my kitchen at home. I bring home, bring my favorites and store them in the lockers. Like I would store them in the cabinets at home. And, um, and I've never really had a problem, but, um, do, I guess my question is, do we really need to stress about all this or what is it that we need to stress about when we are packing food on a boat? Well, for me, I am oftentimes really packing a lot of food in because as you guys know, running training passages, um, there's a lot of eating that goes on. So, I mean, I might often have six people aboard for an Atlantic crossing and there's just not that much space on Quetzal Mm -hmm. for people and food. So we're pretty ruthless about getting rid of as much packaging as possible. But you made a great point because... As much as storing the food, there's also dealing with the trash. And as if you can start out with as little trash potential as possible, you're way down the road. But yeah, we strip all the cardboard off. We take all the meat out of those nasty styrofoam containers. We mm-hmm. we don't necessarily peel the cans. We don't really buy that many cans anymore. But we are pretty aggressive in trying to get rid of as much packaging as we can. Yeah. Same. Mm-hmm. I definitely like take, we'll take, um, meat and I'll buy it, you know, fresh, um, at the store and then I'll vacuum seal it and freeze it just because if it's already frozen when you buy it, it's hard to make it, um, small in a small container for the freezer. Um, I don't, mm. I don't take the, um, labels off the cans either. We've never really had a problem with it, but I know, um, some people must have in the past. So I don't, I don't know where that came from really. Um, but even things that I know, like if they're in a plastic bag already, or if I can put them in a Ziploc bag instead of a plastic bag, I'll do that before leaving port because then I can reuse the Ziploc bag and um, then I'll, you know, I won't have that plastic bag as trash. Um, but we don't, we don't have a ton of space on Twig. We have uh, very limited storage space. So it's the smallest that I can get something, the better. And so... Um, for provisioning for a passage, I guess when you're sailing coastal, there's less stress about provisioning because you can, you have access to a grocery store, but for provisioning for a passage, how do you balance how much produce to bring versus, you know, is it not enough or will it go bad before I get a chance to eat it all? 
um, how do you balance all that? Do you have like spreadsheets or checklists? I mean, that's what I have. I have a spreadsheet. So <laughs> um, what do you guys do? You are way, way more efficient than I am. I just uh, try to look at it as often as possible. And we generally eat all the produce early on in the passage, unfortunately. Yeah, I do. Um, like if we're on a passage, our, our longest passage um, hasn't been more than like eight and a half days. Um, so in that case, I usually make like a list of all the things I want to make and kind of assign the days that I'm going to make them just so I can have that planned out in my head. And then before before mm-hmm. the passage, I'll usually make um, kind of pre-cook like pasta or rice or whatever the main meal is for the day. And I'll have that all set and ready to go and just get ready to heat it up um, beforehand in the fridge. Um, but mostly I just kind of try to do my best I usually after the shopping trip I'll do like one last shopping trip where I'll just shove as much produce as I can in the fridge and in the storage containers as I can and then I just work back from that so you plan the meals out uh do you do you abide by that plan um it's it's funny it's about 50 50 track record of like actually abiding by the plan but I I try to go by like so day one, usually I'm definitely seasick, um, you know, and, and usually we're a little more seasick than we are on as opposed to day three or four. Um, so day one is usually like a pasta meal because it's really easy to make um, and it's easy on our stomachs or like a rice meal. Um, and then by like day two, three, four, I usually just do like some form of tacos for like four days. <laughs> and that way everybody can kind of <laughs> eat what they want to eat. Like, so if they don't feel like this, you know, hot salsa or sour cream on the tacos, they can just, you know, eat rice and beans or rice and beef on a tortilla. And it's just the same. Mm-hmm. Emily, I just want to do, uh, I might just kind of realize, I'm sorry. I, I remember sharing the anchorage at Cape Lookout with you guys and you brought us some food. <laughs> you brought something. <laughs> Did over. We? I don't remember. <laughs> some, yeah. Something you had yeah. baked. It we was were, great. We were in Cape Lookout <laughs> for like five weeks. So by the time anybody yeah. we knew or could talk to showed up, you know, it was like the height of COVID. And so once, you know, someone safe came around, we were probably pretty excited to, to, to see everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a good spot there yeah. for sure. Taji and I had just sailed up from, um, we had just sailed up from Virgin Islands. Yeah, then we saw you guys in yeah. Maine too with yep. Jamie. Yeah, we're yeah. we're actually with Jamie uh, right now too in in the Bahamas. Oh, that's yep. right. You're at Man of yep. War now. Yeah, that's yeah, a great it's place. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, ah, cool. So Teresa, we I'm definitely someone who plans out meals, mm-hmm. um, and it's one of the reasons I'm kind of a galley hog mm-hmm. because I have it all worked out in my head. I know like day 13, I'm going to make pork chops for the third time or something. And if I, um, and I have the provisions pretty well set up meal by meal, but that's more specific for doing passages with crew. And wait a minute, Um, let me just interrupt you there. You make the meals every time when you have crew aboard? Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm the, you know, I like it. I, it gives me you know how social a, a training passage is. Yeah. It, it can be crazy. And and dropping below to just kind of have an hour to myself to putter around and make food is, I mean, I really actually look very forward to that. I mean, when yeah. when we're here and li- living aboard in the Virgin Islands, Taji does the vast majority of the cooking. But underway, it's kind of a little oasis for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel the same way. Yeah. 
On our training expeditions, I really love cooking too, but um, we have a job rotation and there's a chef for the day every day and it rotates uh, through. Well, for us too, we kind of feel like it's part of l- learning to be a cruiser is also learning to cook on a boat. And so um, I give no, that I opportunity totally that. to our students, even though I, I think I would, I think I would enjoy cooking a lot of days too, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, we started that way and it just, it's so often uh, turned out that someone had never cooked before and they mm-hmm. just started dreading dreading their cooking day mm-hmm. like six days out <laughs> that's <laughs> why so we have on our menu was... at least one pasta meal and one peanut butter and jelly meal <laughs> and cereal that's a good strategy so, so they've got some easy options <laughs> today frosted flakes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I I do most of the cooking um, just kind of all the time, mostly because I'm a little bit of a control freak with that. But it seems like I also like the break from being up on deck or on, you know, on watch or anything. And I'm just like, well, I'm going to go cook for a few hours <laughs> and then just disappear. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what about speaking of being on deck and being underway, um, you're not sleeping the 24-hour cycle like we normally would, eight hours at night and then awake the rest of the day, you're going to be sleeping in shifts, whatever whatever your rotation schedule is, six hours, 12 hours, three hours. I mean, we've tried, Ben and I have tried them all. And so um, what do you have? So then obviously if you're sleeping in a weird schedule, you're going to be not necessarily eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Do you guys have a plan for midnight rations or anything like that? Um, sometimes... I'm I'm for being such a nice guy. I'm kind of a stickler on on certain things, <laughs> and one of them is, you know, dinner sort of comes up before watches start. Um, and yeah, I mean, if someone's not feeling well and they can't eat or whatever, I'll oftentimes try to keep food available in the galley that's easy to get at. But I think the the routines of meals help people get their sea legs and kind of get their groove on. So I try really hard to make great food. I mean, healthy breakfasts, smallish lunches, but then some tasty dinner. And my observation is when people get into the routine of eating and eating pretty well, as you say, they start feeling better. And um, and also they sort of start coming together a little bit more as a crew. The mm-hmm. meals are this forced, forced time where you're together. So I'm, I mean, you know, people can, there's all sorts of easy access food. We always have a hammock with fruit and there's a snack drawer. Um, but in general, I'm, I'm, I push meals on people pretty hard, especially in the <laughs> beginning, because I've observed once they start eating well, their whole body starts functioning better and they're happier. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't really eat at night. I feel like I agree with all of John's points because it doesn't doesn't really seem like I'm that hungry at night even though I'm up and awake at night um and Rev our daughter she's she'll sleep through the whole night so she doesn't need to be fed obviously um but I Mm -hmm. always leave like a bag of snacks or granola bars either in the cockpit or on the countertop um for Kai he usually eats more at night than I do um but usually Mm -hmm. like when we're offshore my main reason for eating is that so that I don't get seasick because as soon as I have an empty stomach or I haven't eaten right or I didn't eat a full meal, that's when I start feeling seasick. Um, and mm-hmm. miraculously, at night, I don't feel seasick um, for whatever reason. So at night usually is when 
like I get a break from eating, <laughs> if you will. Right. So. Well, that's interesting. I think that's a great point mm-hmm. because I do. I think when you lose your your the eating routine that you're used to on land and you just kind of go into the bunker on the boat, I think you're more prone for seasickness. I agree completely. That's if you just kind of have your normal eating, even if it's just a little, I think it, your body's happier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So speaking of seasick, John, I've heard that you have a cocktail hour on your boat. We do. Yeah. <laughs> I find this is like completely opposite of, of how we do it. There's no alcohol on our on our boats, especially not when I we're know. sailing. So to tell me about that. How, how does that work out? <laughs> I'm, I, I am the outlier in that. You know, it's interesting, Teresa. We've been... I, I sort of learned that from the guy that I sailed around Cape Horn with all those years ago. Um, he had an interesting philosophy that, you know, your life on the boat should be, you should reach a state of happiness and well-being that's equal to your life on land. And, I mean, I'm not saying anyone has, I, I think in all these years, no one has ever gotten drunk on board. And the captain's hour is more of a celebration than it certainly is a drinking thing. It might be a glass of wine, a beer. It's not like people pound beers during the day or anything <laughs> like that. It's a it's a limited affair, but I like it because it tends to relax people. It tends to let the let folks take their, you know, kind of start to tell stories. And I like it also because it's it's an equalizer. One of the things when people come on the boat, I'm I'm waxing on here, but there's different levels of experience. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really easy for someone to feel intimidated. And what really relieves that is when everybody starts telling their own stories. And I think that Captain's Hour is the time when you have, you get to tell your story and we all sort of find common ground in everybody's stories. And it's, I don't know. I mean, it's just having a glass of wine sometimes helps that. Mm -hmm. And so that's really my goal on the boat is for people to find find their groove so that it isn't just suddenly uh, A to B thing. In fact, being in between A and B is really, to me, always where the cool part of it is. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, that's my long winded explanation for the fact that I like to have a glass of wine each day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I know people think I'm a bit crazy for that, but. And so does the, does the wine ever make anybody seasick? I'm, um, I feel like it would actually, I don't know what it would do to me, but I'm, I'm not much of a drinker in my shore life either. So. Well, exactly. I think a lot of people who come with me are not drinkers Mm -hmm. at all and they don't drink. Um, and it seems to be a very self-regulating thing Mm -hmm. that, um, it, it's, you're generally so tired and just trying to get your, you know, get your stuff together that you don't ever really abuse it. And many, many people don't drink. But um, so if if you're feeling wonky or woozy, I mean, people, are, you know, our captain's hour consists of of um, club soda with lime. Mm-hmm. So it isn't. Um, yeah. And there's you know, and I'm pretty good at making sure there's zero peer pressure about it. I mean, it, it's always made clear that if you feel like a glass of wine, it's going to help you out or a little two to rum or typically people have a beer at just before dinner. Um, but at the same time, I'm not a Nazi as though this is some crazy thing that's making you a bad person. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So um, this has, you know, a lot of food 
on sailing trips all over the world, food is so much surrounded by ritual. And what you're talking about is ritual, really. And, mm-hmm. um, and it sounds wonderful. And so um, I just want to think, you know, a little bit more about what foods or alcohol or things we keep aboard relating to food um, just for the ritual they provide, not for the nourishment or for the calories or for the flavor. Um, but do you have anything aboard that you keep for the ritual of it? Uh, I definitely keep, I mean, maybe not so much stuff um, that we ate before moving on a boat, but now that we've had like certain foods in certain areas, I definitely keep some things on board. Um, I remember like the first time we came to the Bahamas, I stocked up on um, these olives that are um, vacuum sealed, um, marinated olives in a um, in a plastic container in uh, from Trader Joe's. And now just having that treat the first time, like we were totally out of all of our fresh food. We were totally in the middle of nowhere. There was, you know, hardly any good food in the stores left. And, you know, opening that bag of olives and it felt like we were in like some fancy restaurant in Italy, you know, where these really good olives. <laughs> nice. um, so now like this time we came to the Bahamas, I think I had like 25 bags of, <laughs> of those olives. Um, so just like certain things where it's like, if all else fails, we have those olives, you know, <laughs> Uh, but definitely, I mean, for us, it's always dessert just because I live with, you know, uh, a nine-year-old and me uh, and and a man. So, like, between all of us, we have this uh, high propensity for liking desserts. So we always try to have a dessert or just, like, a treat offshore at the end of the day. Um, that's that's mainly our, our two. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's definitely my, my shortcoming, our desserts. I, I always just kind of run out of things to think about by the time it's provisioning for desserts. But I love that idea of the olives. You know, I'm, I'm a, always selling people on, I'm, and I have stories, right? So, I mean, just on the last trip, I'd found these, these uh, canned, of all things, canned octopus from Spain. And I was, it was just, and I was building it up so much of how great it was. And I served it for captain's hour and people were profoundly disappointed. <laughs> 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 but I had made a great story out of it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I think for for mm. us, um, Ben and I have a food ritual, usually when we're going uh, without each other on a passage. Like if I'm working on a mm. boat or he's on a different one. Um, and mostly I remember this ritual <laughs> and he forgets. But I'll sneak food into his duffel. And I'll take his water bottle and I'll fill it up with ginger ale before he leaves so that when he goes to take his first sip, he has this treat. <laughs> and, um, and and Ben loves Oreos, but we don't ever buy Oreos. And so it's like the only time he gets Oreos, I'll get him a pack of Oreos and I'll sneak it in his duffel bag and chocolates and other sweets. So it's like oh, you go out to sea great. and you get way more treats than we do when we're not. <laughs> I like that. Mm-hmm. So he he longs for those trips without you to get his Oreos. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or or for the cold trips because anytime it's cold, Ben's like, I have to bake cookies. I have to keep the oven running. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and so he's, and Ben's very good at mm. making cookies, so that's fun. It's a good talent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. So I I remember when I was sailing up in Newfoundland, there. Well, we had this. We decided to do. There's there's minimal veggies. It's hard to find veggies at the grocery stores up there, and uh, that's and putting I, it lightly. What's that? Yeah, that I say that's putting it lightly. The provisioning there is is bad. Yeah, it was really challenging. Yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, and so um, I, I don't know why we decided to do this, but we decided one day we weren't going to go grocery shopping until we ate everything on the boat. And we were coastal at the time. We could have gone in every few days to get more food. And we decided we we're going to eat everything on the boat and, um, and, and then try to find food at the grocery store. And I think we had to get really creative in, during that trip. And I'm just wondering, like, what um, – were there were there times when you had to get creative because of local availability? Because there was food there that you weren't used to buying or seeing in your in your normal grocery store, or because it lacked food that you're usually used to getting. Oh, definitely. Over the years, in in crazy places. I mean, being in Cape Verde, you know, thirty years ago, it was a really ch- it was incredibly challenging to provision for an Atlantic crossing. And you're right, Newfoundland, and then even further up the coast of Labrador, it's. It's a little depressing how poorly and unhealthy they eat there um, and trying to find anything that isn't prepackaged and canned is a challenge for sure. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. My mom sailed around the world in the 1980s and they had no refrigeration and she was always concocting these really imaginative salads and things out of canned vegetables and I mean, she would do amazing things with chickpeas. And I remember a lot of that. And I pull a lot of that out of my, out of the lockers late in a voyage or when they're just, you can't find anything fresh. I mean, just a can of tomatoes, as dreadful as that sounds, can really spice something up Mm -hmm. and make it look healthy and feel healthy. Um, And yeah, I mean, that's, they are, we did so many trips pre-refrigeration that you had to be a little creative in how you serve things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also creative in how to buy things too. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Like you can get, I mean, I found that, um, cause I've done a lot of trips without refrigeration and I found that I can keep freshies for, um, three weeks, some freshies, you know, Obviously, there are things that go bad quicker than others, but and it depends on how you buy them and how you store them too. Oh, absolutely! I remember being in the Canary Islands on our first crossing, and when there was this French family in a steel boat, we were in our little Contessa, and we they invited us aboard, and they had like forty cabbages stored in the bilge. But cabbage lasts forever. You can place laughter with the cabbage head, and it'll still taste good. That's exactly. Uh, it's funny. And we went and bought like 10 cabbages after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I think when we were in Cape Lookout, that was like the longest we had been away from a grocery store. And not really out of necessity because I could have, you know, we could have like pulled into Moorhead City or Beaufort and like gone to the store. But mostly just to see like how long it was going to be before we broke down. And I made, I made it five weeks. And at the end of that, like, even to this day, like Kai will ask me, he's like, was that really five weeks? I don't remember eating poorly, but I had so much cabbage and I had so many like kale bunches that I had cooked down and vacuum Mm -hmm. sealed and froze. And kale isn't the best when you freeze it. Sometimes it gets bitter, but I just had like so many greens and alternative style vegetables that were lasting forever and it was it kind of became this like competition with myself where I was like no I don't even want to go to a store anymore (laughs) (laughs) that's great (laughs) well the the pandemic kind of has made us think that way too I mean you just didn't want to go ashore if you didn't yeah that was Mm -hmm. we had we we had been in Beaufort South Carolina for the winter and so 
I had taken, you know, weeks at, just kind of as the pandemic was starting and I'd taken weeks to kind of store everything we would need on the boat for, you know, months at a time. And in our worst case scenario was that they were going to start closing the ports. So we didn't want to get stuck like in a major metropolitan area mm. and not be able to leave and do, you know, inter interstate travel um, or cross-state right. travel. And so... I think I just was like, we need to be able to last for like four months on the boat, <laughs> knowing that that probably mm -hmm. wasn't realistic. Um, but it kind of was this little, uh, you know, adventure in food for us. Mm -hmm. Oh, for, for mm -hmm. sure. We were in, in Grenada and we were getting ready to sail back here and the store, there was kind of a rush on the stores. You were only allowed to go certain days and I'm still finding really crappy old English cans of food that we purchased because we just wanted to be prepared yeah. thinking we might be months on the boat. Yeah, we definitely yeah. have some like weird leftover rice that we finally got through because that was the only rice that was left at the store. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, that rem reminds me of this. When we first bought our boat in Panama, we flew to Panama to pick, Panama to pick it up and it had been sitting there in the sun for months without anybody aboard. And we found this random can of beans that had exploded in the bilge and it was just all over. I don't know how it happened, but. <laughs> that does sound brutal. <laughs> mm. So I, I think we, I think I want to talk about um, staying hydrated because uh, we're out there in the sun and in the salt and in the weather sailing. And I think, people need to drink so much more water than they're aware of. It's so different than being ashore. And um, and it's easy, really easy to forget to drink water, I think, especially when, you know, it's it's the same thing every day, all the time, water, water, water. And it doesn't always, you know, you want something a little diverse, a little to spice it up a little bit. So is there anything that you bring aboard to help stay hydrated? Um, I know that for us, we, like I said, I uh, fill Ben's water bottle with ginger ale before he leaves and I kind of sneak that on but um because we don't have a lot of room for a lot of like canned fizzy drinks but we bring a fizzy water maker um and then some powdered lemonade for those situations when someone's just not drinking enough like just to kind of make it more flavorful yeah, yeah we have a um a big five pound co2 canister that we bubble um, you know, we just refill liter bottles of water and we bubble that. And I'm pretty mm -hmm. standard on the carbonated water. Like I'll drink that no matter what the weather is, no matter what the temperature, like it needs to be carbonated and I'll drink it. And I just put like a splash of lemon in it just to make it taste like it's not just water. Um, and I mean, that, that'll last us about a year of making like two to three liters a day. Um, so that's when, that's the only wow, time it lasts a year. Yeah. There's, Holy it's, cow. it's so efficient. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's sometimes problematic when I'm trying to find a place to, that will refill that. Um, but you know, if you only have to do it a year, it's just like your main thing for a couple of weeks to find that place. Um, but that, I mean, that's when I start getting nervous as if we're low on CO2. <laughs> <laughs> How big is it? How, how big is it it's, physically? It's not like any bigger than like a scuba tank or like, I mean, I think it's smaller than most scuba tanks. It's... Oh, that's a really great idea. Our, our partners, um, Nathan and Vivian, have a soda stream mm -hmm. that that's what we have, making. a soda stream. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I, I really am contemplating getting one because I agree, Emily, that with carbonated water, sparkling water just seems so much easier to drink. 
I'm terrible about drinking water and always have to force myself to stay hydrated. Um, one thing we did do is we put a really nice water filtration system in the boat so we can drink straight from the tanks now. We don't have all the plastic bottles we used to have and that really helps on the trash management and just kind of encouraging people to drink all the time. Mm -hmm. And and the the addition of a water maker really it's it still strikes me as so extravagant, but it really changes the game. There's no you know, no rules for not filling your water bottle anytime you want. And yeah, we're always really advising people to drink. It's hard. You're right, Teresa. It's just easy not to. It is. It's so easy not to just to forget that you're actually thirsty, even though you don't feel thirsty yeah. and you're sitting there in the sun. And and you have to monitor yourself and, you know, check out your urine and make sure you're, cause yeah. you get lots of signs. I know yeah. it sounds disgusting, but it's definitely true. Yeah. No, John, that doesn't sound disgusting. And I actually had a question on my list of questions <laughs> about that. I mean, you can't talk about the intake without talking about the output. It's all part of the same process, right? And so I feel like I like to have foods on the boat that I say, I call them, they that they um, lube the tubes. Uh, I could <laughs> help not, keep I could you regular. Not agree more. <laughs> oh my! Every everybody who comes on passage, many people have come many times, and as I'm doing my my briefing early on, they kind of get ready for the potty talk because I'm always telling people that they need to get regular. Mm -hmm. and I think it's a huge part of seasickness and certainly well being. But once you kind of do your business and you're you're perking along like you are on land, you definitely feel better. Mm -hmm. And completely agree. Mm -hmm. And I'm always telling people, you know, tell me what you need to eat to make this happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I know. We've, we've, we've degraded things. <laughs> when, I, when I've worked with teenagers or, or kids, we've actually sometimes for fun kept like a we called it the shit list <laughs> you know like and after exactly. like three days if you're not on the list then we need to have a discussion here <laughs> and you know sometimes yeah. working with adults it's like working with kids too so <laughs> so that's a really good idea no it's true i mean when someone finally does it you know they get a gold star in their dossier <laughs> <laughs> This is making me really happy that we don't have regular crew. I would not, I would not deal well with that. Keeping the shit yeah. list. I won't tell you about the other tricks we have, then, Emily. We won't go there. But what what food works? What food helps keep you regular? Coffee, but the problem with coffee is it can often it's acidic and can make you feel bad too but and a lot of people feel they need to give up coffee when they start mm -hmm. and and it's a shame because if they can just kind of get it's usually it seems to me to be one of the keys to to getting things rolling but um otherwise you know definitely fibers and and, and easy you know sort of non-spicy uh easy to digest foods for sure mm -hmm. not pasta though but yeah, I try to f pass off cereals and with uh, non-dairy milk sometimes, and mm -hmm. it depends. It's yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with being finally reaching the point where you're just comfortable, mm -hmm. and boats are just so badly set up for that, you know. I mean, and so getting into the mind state, going in there and just taking your time and not not feeling like you're on the clock. Well, on the topic of <laughs> right. 
on the topic of hydration too, like we always, um, for our treats offshore, especially in hot weather, um, I always make like a smoothie at least every once a day or every mm. couple of days. And I feel like that can be good, especially with, you know, having a kid who doesn't always want to drink and doesn't really understand the ramifications of not, you know, staying hydrated or eating enough when she's feeling seasick. Um, she, she will always eat a smoothie. Like she will like get super excited about that. So you know, that takes care of like your really vegetables and fruits and like I'll hide, you know, a million different things and vitamins and flax and those kind mm-hmm. of things. And having we didn't used to have uh, an immersion blender, but I finally, you know, bit the bullet and was like, all right, we're moving this onto the boat. And it's actually changed a lot of our food preparation um, practices just because it, it makes it easy to make those kinds of things, which you, you'd otherwise need, you know, like a blender or something like bigger. That sounds really great. Yeah, it's making sure. me hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs> Taji I, makes great smoothies. That's yeah. That's a really that's a good point. I think that's um, important to have too. Like especially when you're sailing offshore, and if you're feeling seasick, people tend to just eat crackers for a few days, or they don't feel like drinking very much because anything they eat or drink might be coming up, and so the, it just compounds. It just makes it worse. Yeah. So that smoothie might be refreshing. Exactly you know, when they're, when they're feeling ready. I feel like, I feel like I get, I don't throw up when I get seasick, but I feel nauseated a lot. And it's like, you name it, I've tried it for seasickness. And I have Mm -hmm. some really kind of unconventional things that I've found that work and smoothies is one of them, but I'll also keep like just frozen mangoes on board and I'll sit them at the top of our freezer. So they're always kind of half frozen. Um, And just eating frozen mangoes is like, it's the most wonderful thing when I'm seasick. Um, but also just like um, the boxed soups, like there's this one um, called like cashew carrot ginger soup and I'll put it in the fridge and drink it cold. So it's almost like a vegetable smoothie. And I know it sounds disgusting, but it's it's actually really good for when you're <laughs> feeling a little dehydrated or you haven't really, you don't want to eat a full meal. But those kinds of things, I know it's weird, but those have definitely saved me a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've both. I've also thrown them up, so I know that they're okay coming back up <laughs> as they are going down. So and that's so important to know, right? Yeah. Well, at peanut, first, butter, <laughs> peanut butter and crackers is not okay coming up. Yeah, at first everybody was like, "Oh, we'll eat some potato chips because you know the salt will be fine." But like, you only throw up an entire bag of potato chips once before you know that like you can't do that again. <laughs> so I had to give those up. That's <laughs> like every anytime anybody says Newport, Rhode Island, I think of like. We were in the middle of some like race. There was a bunch of small boats around us. So we kept having to tack back and forth and it was just kind of lumpy seas. And I just kept eating the chips thinking it was going to help. And then I was like, oh, no, this is bad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, So, you know, we've been talking for 40 minutes and it's just endless. We can keep I feel like we could keep going on and on um, talking about food. And I find it interesting because. Um, very often in like the boat shows or in training programs or in, you know, the food, preparing food on board a boat or provisioning or planning well for food is not really uh, a topic that we hear about very often. I just wonder like, why is it so neglected when it's like food brings us so much joy? Everything, every story we have to tell, there's some sort of, well, we're talking about food right now, but I feel like in general in life, I know kind of what I was eating that day or who I sat down to eat with or something like that. 
Yeah, for sure. That's a really interesting point because on a long passage too, the one thing everybody looks forward to is food. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just a time when you get together and, and that's part of that whole captain's hour ritual and that, that's a good way of, of how you phrase it. It's, a, it's actually a ritual more than it is an event. And so and preparing good food is just, yeah, it's a game changer. I, had a, I used to deliver this guy's Hylas 49 for years and he would cook amazing food underway and his motto was a boat is not an excuse for a bad meal. And it's... um. It is weird, though, why it just sort of, it's interesting. There's like cookbooks, um, and then there are passage-making books, but there aren't sort of, the the emphasis isn't on food as part of the glory of offshore sailing. At least that's, and it should be for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's kind of why I started, you know, keeping notes on my blog of like, you know, you don't have to make, canned food or bad food or or easy or fast to make food just because you're on the boat like a lot of people ask questions about you know like how do you cook or you know how do you do anything on the boat and they're always kind of flabbergasted that I can like make a loaf of bread on the boat and I'm like well it's not (laughs) it's not rocket science like we still have to eat and (laughs) you know just because I live on a boat I don't want to eat terribly and give up, you know, 90% of what I find enjoyable in life, <laughs> you know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then on the flip side, too, um, I know that food stress is real. Like, even though food can bring us so much joy, on the other side, it can be super stressful. And, like, for us having students aboard, I'm con- I'm constantly aware of food stress. And packing f- food for five people I've never met before. We don't serve a la carte meals. Everybody eats the same thing, same one or two options for each meal. And, um and people can eat enough and feel full, but they're still hangry because they haven't gotten the food they love or they don't feel satisfied by the flavors they had or the types of food. And everybody at home has different food habits and food diets. And so I, I really think food stress is real and like um, having the right foods makes for a happy crew so that you can then do all the work you need to do to keep the boat safe and moving. Yeah, it's so hard to please everybody. And I'm completely with you. I mean, dinner is kind of what dinner is, maybe with a vegetarian option for sure. Um, but, and it's, yeah, it's part of the adjustment to sailing and it's just one of the more difficult adjustments some people have to make. But yeah, I hadn't really, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of it in those terms as food stress, but I, I've certainly witnessed it plenty of times. And some people are, have no you know, they feel great and are always just a little bit hungry because they're used to eating a lot. And, you know, there's so much served up and that's pretty much what there is. And so I imagine the adjustment they make is hard. Um, yeah. But, I feel like that's that's yeah. just part of sailing, though. It's like there's always going to be something that you're going to have to get used to. And, you know, at least <laughs> exactly. food is something that, like, <laughs> once you get on your own boat or you're on your you know, you're, you're the captain of the passage or something, you can kind of choose what no, what you know works best for you. And it's funny because I'm a health coach in like my full-time job. Um, and I see this a lot too, as people change their habits in their eating, like they do have these different things that happen, you know, with their emotions or with their stress levels. And it's kind of funny because it, it will happen, you know, if you're out of your element for food or, or if you're out of your routine of what you normally eat, It'll kind of happen whether you're on a boat or not, but being on a boat is going to exaggerate everything, right? So, like, if you're also hungry and also on a boat, like, 
it's going to be even worse than if you're hungry and just on land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah, a boat is a is a little microscope. There's no question about that. Yeah, we've we've taken more and more now. We have a lot of friends and clients who are have specifics. There, we're encountering a lot of gluten free folks and a lot of non meat eaters. Um, and so I've really tried hard to come up with single meals that accommodate everybody. Um, and it's interesting to me, and I know, Teresa, you and Ben have always done this, but you can cook vegetarian in such inventive ways that it can sort of make the meat eaters okay. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we, I've, and that's been a big change for me. I mean, historically, you know, I bought so much meat, and but now I oftentimes do a fair amount of vegetarian cooking, and most people seem pretty okay with it or maybe they're just good at hiding their stress <laughs> so did, john did i tell you that when we first started doing our sail training expeditions ben and i were both vegetarians and we only had vegetarian meals for everyone i, th- I think yeah i think when we got together in st martin that time mm-hmm. you were telling me that yeah and i found it shock yeah and you know but people usually I- did find it shocking like because you know nobody asked in advance what they were going to eat but they came on board and um i have a a galley binder and it has all the meals um, that they can choose from when they're when they're cooked for the day all the breakfasts uh. all the lunch all the dinners all the options and then a recipe card for each one and um and they they just choose a meal that looks that they like and they make it and then it's not until like halfway through the trip they realize that everything they're eating is vegetarian <laughs> And but they're loving it, you know, because all the I I got all the comfort foods, you know, food that everybody likes to eat um, are the meals that I've chosen. And um, now we don't do that anymore. We do have meat on, uh, you know, um, probably a good, nice balance of meat meals and vegetarian meals. Um, And then, of course, accommodations for allergies and things like that. But uh, but yeah, it was it was I think um, some people would say to us, I wish I would have known in advance and then I always probe a little further. Well, what would you have done? And they're like, well, maybe I wouldn't have come, or maybe I would have brought some right. other food. And then, and then they're always like, but I'm glad I tried this. You know, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I ate well. And so, it was not the intention of our training program, but it was <laughs> definitely a lesson yeah. learned. Were you guys pescatarians, or was it no fish either? No fish either. Okay. So yeah. Well, we did a trip a few years ago, a long trip in a not in Quetzal, in a Hylas forty nine from Honolulu to um, Port Townsend, and two of the crew were vegetarians. Um, and one fellow had had a had had a heart attack, and instead of having surgery, um, he completely changed to a more or less macrobiotic diet. And we all just kind of the whole crew just agreed that we would all just eat vegetarian for the whole trip. And it was a long trip, it was 20 days. And everybody enjoyed it. You know, Mm -hmm. it was kind of a team effort. And for Rick, it was necessary. And it made provisioning so much easier, to be honest. Um, And it's funny, because when you kind of approach it in those terms, I think most people, if if people aren't willing to embrace that for 20 days of their life, then they they probably aren't the best shipmates in the world anyway. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we were we were entirely vegetarian, but Ben decided one time that um, he was going to get a fishing pole and 
eat fish, you know, and he went out to the store and he picked out this fishing pole. I'm like, no, no, you need to get a cheaper fishing pole. Um, that's an $80 fish that we're going to eat. <laughs> and, um, and he said, no, yeah, the more right. fish I catch, the cheaper they get. And um, I swear, it is still an $80 fish that we ate one time. <laughs> oh, that's funny. We're very much into sustainable fishing, too. We catch one fish like every 5,000 miles. So. <laughs> I don't, I don't I ever understand how anybody can manage to fish. I know people do it. Um, but like it's it always seems by like by the time we get the sails set and we've you know gotten ourselves fed and like taking care of the kid and just you know kind of settled in and it's like I don't want to be dragging a line behind me as well to to take care of that like I got to keep looking forward <laughs> and you know like I mm-hmm. always I always feel like it would just be such a disaster if we tried to fish it is pretty nice though when a yellowfin tuna hits and you get it aboard and you have sashimi in the cockpit and make uh um um geez my brain just went uh, ceviche (laughs) it's good stuff it's definitely but what we do with our friends but it's uncommon Mm -hmm. so i I had told you guys about our trip in nova scotia where we decided we would only we'd eat everything we wouldn't go to the grocery store until we ate everything that we had aboard and um in the end we just had some random condiments and some tortillas and uh, maybe a can of beans but um we call that the bottom of the bilge meal and so i wonder are there any essential dry goods that you just always need to overstock on so that you have them in abundance so you know when you get down to the very last bits you've got something you always have an extra supply of some of this one particular thing yeah for me it's definitely mayan spaghetti <laughs> what it's is a, that? It's a <laughs> it's kind of a story. We I used to run um these Mayan archaeological charters in Belize back in the nineties. And I had this the last charter of one year I had this really dreadful couple turn up. One of the one of the few people that have ever signed into my, my life, my world, and I didn't really like very much. And they hated all the food. They they didn't like the Maya. They were just kind of unpleasant folks. And the only provision, I we were supposed to go eat um, in these different Mayan villages where we were supporting them. It was a really great project. And they didn't want to do that. So the only food I could buy in the grocery store before we shoved off were these dreadful jars of ragu and old cans of corned beef. And so I sort of... We'd get to an anchorage and I'd go down below and I'd fry up the corned beef and mix it in. And I convinced these guys that this was actually a secret recipe from the ancient Maya. (laughs) 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 And I'm not sure they believed it, but they ate that schlock for days. So (laughs) it's one of those, it's one of our bottom of the bilge foods that comes with a story. (laughs) So wait, what are the ingredients again? (laughs) Ragu, any, any... Spaghetti you can find and canned corned beef. Mm-hmm. It's brutal. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> no, actually, most people <laughs> it's like probably it. pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I feel so. like the last thing we always have is like some sort of beans and rice. It's like I'll always have beans and rice. I don't really like beans, mm-hmm. so that's probably why we always have them because I don't always choose those. But I know there's like always like a random can of green beans, like actual green beans in a can which is kai's least favorite thing to eat so like they they're just gonna sit there for a long time 
<laughs> yeah, beans. I feel like beans and rice are always a winner, and you can carry a lot of rice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those canned green oh, beans, though, they're the tough. worst. They, that's there's definitely there's definitely a hierarchy of <laughs> things that to eat in a can, and it's like. When we first bought the boat, I would I had like all the vegetables in cans because I was like, oh, this is how boat people do it. And then I realized that like <laughs> there's no reason ever to buy a can of green beans ever again for myself. So I was like the only Emily, I did the same thing, too, on a trip very early on was I provisioned with a whole bunch of canned and boxed things because yeah. I thought, oh, this is how you do it. Yep. And um, I think I still have some of those cans. Yeah. <laughs> Like the only things I buy in cans now are like corn and tomatoes and spinach. And that's like really all, you know, and like some refried beans or something. But, you know, as far as vegetables go, that's kind of all I'll really tolerate. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to wrap up soon, but I wanted to ask you guys if you had anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to. Uh, we covered most of the basics yeah, here definitely. for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, it is interesting. I think your point, Teresa, is such a valuable one that you should put a lot of thought into the meals you're going to make out at sea or underway or along the coast um, because they just become the highlight of the day for the crew, for sure. Mm -hmm. And put some put some energy into thinking about that. Yeah. And it can really turn just a grouchy moment around. It can really You can be beaten by the weather and exhausted and cold and tired and all of that, and then you can have some some good well-prepared food and it can just make everything different yeah completely agree mm -hmm. so maybe we can just wrap up with um your favorite recipe since we haven't actually talked about recipes <laughs> mm. well i have to go first because emily's gonna blow me out of the water <laughs> on this one i'm sure <laughs> but but the f my favorite, I think the recipe that I do aboard that people like the most is a really wholesome chicken stew in the pressure cooker. And it's really basic, just all real food, celery, carrots, potatoes, chicken, sort of, sort of saute garlic and onion first, um, brown the chicken a little bit before it all goes in. And... Oftentimes we don't even serve it with rice. It comes out as kind of a chicken soup mm -hmm. and it's hearty and I make a big portion of it and people love it. Um, and when I'm really feeling ambitious, Taji texts me her recipe for Roquefort chicken, which is just fantastic. It's chicken in Roquefort sauce. But I would say that the go-to, the meal that I that I always know is going to make people happy is my chicken stew in the pressure cooker. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now I want chicken. That sounds really good. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think my go-to recipe is, and I, I guess like looking at my blog, this is kind of um, predictable, is like, but I kind of like a meal centered around bread, which I don't love to eat a lot of bread in general, but when we're offshore and when we're sailing, I kind of throw all those rules out the window. Um, but one thing that I always bring, like if we're going over to someone's boat or if we're you know, just kind of really wanting some a treat is I make um, my challah bread, which is just kind of like a braided round loaf of bread. And it, it looks really, you know, fancy. It looks nice. It's just like, looks like such a treat, but it's really easy to make. And it just takes time um, and a little bit of preparation. But having that with just like some other charcuterie or snacks is just kind of a really 
it's kind of how I grew up was just kind of eating snacks all the time because I had really low blood sugar as a kid, it seemed. Um, so just having like snacks and just like a main, you know, a nice loaf of bread is kind of my favorite meal to make. And, and everybody usually likes that. Mm-hmm. Wow, that sounds good. And, and some of that butter that you have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's only a little bit of butter in that. <laughs> you, ne- you never know so, when you need three pounds of butter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so for mine, I have... Um, uh, we call it the Magdalena's Christmas kale salad, and that's after Ben's sister-in-law. And um, she made it for us one Christmas, and it's just kale, and the dressing is um, maple syrup and mustard, and then it has dried cranberries and pine nuts and red onions, and that's yeah. it, and it's so good. That sounds really that sounds good. sounds great. Mm-hmm. It does. Uh, thank you guys both for talking with me. This has been a lot of fun. I hope you had a good time, too. Oh, thanks a lot, Teresa. Yeah, thanks. This was fun. Definitely. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to The Morning Muster wherever you get your podcasts or visit morsealpha.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Expeditions. The music is by Tim Erickson, my brother, and you can find him at timerickssonmusic.com. Until next time, stay found. <laughs>